Hello, this is Beth Maples Bays, and this is Lesbian Echoes, a podcast about older lesbians from America and beyond. We hope you enjoy our podcast and listening to the stories of lesbians worldwide. Hello, this is Beth Maplespace, and welcome to Lesbian Echoes. Today, we have with us Spider Redgold, who has offered graciously to give us her time and tell us her story. Hello. Hello, Beth. Um, if you could please just tell us how old you are. I'm 70, 71 in three weeks. Oh. Well, I'm almost 69, so we're close in age. Um, and how old were you when you came out? I was 25. I came out as a result of the celebrations for the International Year of Women, where we had a lot of events organised and I was sent off onto all these different women's committees as the the woman from my employer and I met the most wonderful community of feminists and lesbians in South Australia. I was going to mention to our listeners that we're listening to someone from the land of Oz down under. Um, So you you were in um, Australia when this happened. I was in Australia, yes. Um, I was in Australia from the age of 16. And in 1975, well, in 1973 and four, the organisations began to prepare for this United Nations International Year of Women. And I was the loudmouth that got sent along to the organizing committee meetings by my bosses. Uh, I don't really remember whether I was the one that brought it up and they said, yes, go, or whether they just told me to go because they had to send somebody, but I ended up at these meetings and met the most amazing women and my life changed. I'm sure it did. The amazing women have a way of doing that. Um, I was in awe of their boldness and bravery and um, just being out there like they were was I was just like a little a little kid with her mouth open going oh I want to be like her (laughs) well and and so you you came out to yourself um I came out to myself. My friends were all saying, you're a lesbian, you're a lesbian. And I would say, I'm not a lesbian until I know I'm a lesbian. And I was, a, I was a feminist first. I was a women's liberation woman, uh, part of the women's autonomous women's liberation movement. And so for me to come out as a lesbian meant that I had to challenge the feminism behind women are not sex objects. I was going to be sexually attracted to a woman. I had to really question in myself what was become deciding to be sexually attracted to a woman and the difference between that and women as sex objects. Because for me, heterosexual men saw me as a sex object. So if I was going to be a lesbian, how was what I was going to do any different? And I've always, always, even as a child, uh, thought very deeply about the underlying motivations and ethics of things at whatever position I am at the time to have those thoughts. So I can very clearly remember looking at women, you know, as I was riding the bus thinking, if I think that's a lovely lesbian, am I treating her as a sex object? How does that work? What happens? 
And I had to go through that on a personal journey before I could come out as a lesbian. Well, sexual attraction and sexual objectification are not the same thing to me, but I understand what you're saying about your journey. Um, so uh, did you then come to have lots of lesbian friends? I came to have lots of lesbian friends and I had lovers and I had the most wonderful, wonderful coming out time of discovering what my sexuality was. And I, I know that objectification and attraction are very different. But at that age and at that time, I needed to think about it a lot. So I did. Well, you seem like a very thinking person, thinking woman, I should say. Yes. Uh, so you went on and... Um, while you were doing all this, as you grew up, what were you doing for a living? Oh, I had lots of different jobs. Uh, at that age, the jobs were not so important as the rest of my life. The bosses that I talked about were the, um, the South Australian Theatre Company. I was working in children's drama in education as part of the theatre company. And I was a private detective, and then I ran a printing press at a community media center. There, so yeah, lots of lots of, but like at the time, I was part of the publishing collective of a weekly free magazine that was revolutionary, radical, whatever on the arts. So my life was very full, living in a collective of 10 in a house, big old rambling mansion. And, yeah, my work was what just brought in money and we collectivised our incomes. But what I did was the magazine and we wrote women's musicals and plays and endlessly just incredibly active and creative and um, full of that 1970s analysis of the world to discover that if everybody just realized it, they would be different. And I really used to believe that all we had to do was explain <laughs> and then it would be different. <laughs> if only like, they had listened. <laughs> <laughs> Only they thought about it and realized, yes, that was that was where it was back then, was if only if we could just explain to them, then they would stop being so awful. Yeah, well, um, they, we, we explained and they, they, the pendulum swung too far. But well, I feel like I have less tolerance for the men of my age and a little bit younger, you know, 10 years behind me than I do for younger men now because those men have actively resisted change for the whole of their adult life. <laughs> That's true. You know, they are awful. Those, they just have absolutely, we can't say they didn't know or the poor darlings, nobody told them because we told them and we told them and we told them and I have zero ability to give the benefit of the doubt to a bloke who's in his 60s. He's had an opportunity all his life. Absolutely. Of course, me personally, I don't have much tolerance for men of any age, but... Um, oh, it's easy for me. I'm a lesbian separatist, so I don't have very much to do with them. But when those discussions come up, I know that it's like, not if, not if they're anywhere near my age, no sympathy. So, um, if I may ask, what, what are your opinions on the um, current conversation with regard to sex and gender? Oh, um, I... Well, 
Gender is a social construct that is used by patriarchy to control women and to define masculinity. Sex has very little to do with gender. And I don't even believe that the fact that women have children define their social role. I think that women bearing children defines a possible social organization, but there are many other possible social organizations where women can have children and not be um, constrained by that. I absolutely I, agree. I, I just think this is total, the emperor has no clothes, yeah. you know? The emperor has no clothes, and I will keep saying the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> in 2004, lesbians in Australia tried to, did hold a weekend event called Sappho's Party, and in writing declined a transgender the right to attend. And we ended up in Equal Opportunity Tribunal as the so-called perpetrators of discrimination against the poor puppy that wanted to follow us home. Well, um, I, I don't know if our listeners know what's going on in Tasmania right now, but it's my understanding that um, lesbian gatherings have been declared illegal in that part of Australia. Uh, well, no, that's a bit of a stretch. Okay. Um, there was an application to have a female-only gathering, and I'm not entirely sure that it wasn't a setup because it was a terrible application where the story kept changing on the way through, and it was for women to dress up as men and be drag kings. So it was a drag queen show and they wanted an exemption from having men, biological males, except for a man who was their friend who was giving them a cheap rate as a DJ. So it's like it's almost it was set up to fail, to be a thing. Um, and I don't, I don't really understand the ins and outs of it or whether they were just really young and inexperienced with dealing with the public service because it's a public servant who made that decision and it's now being appealed. Um, but, yeah, you know, like I probably wouldn't go to a drag teen show because... Butch is butch, but drag kings are not necessarily butchers, you know? Like, I, I, it's a very strange area to use as a test case. And particularly with the idea that, oh, we'll just mention this gay boy who's our friend who we want him to come when we're saying we don't want men there. Because to me, as an old and wrinkled seasoned political activist, I would have just said something, of course, we would not interrupt the venue's um, capacity where required to employ men who had the right to be employed or something, you know, unionist <laughs> like that and just have the, the gay boy they wanted there in the, in the employee category in a very generic way that couldn't be questioned. So I, I don't know the detail. The other thing is, is that the... Um, the ruling said something really odd, like it's, um, it's intrusive and embarrassing to ask about people's genitalia. And somewhere in the back of my head, there's a thing about men losing their dicks from landmines. And I believe that there's a, there's, a, there's a law or there's something about you can't ask somebody if it's still really there. Like it, it's something about huh. ordinary straight men having no dick for some noble reason rather than anything to do with transgender. So that part of the ruling 
was just about men and their dicks rather than about lesbians and gays. Or transgender or whatever. So I look at it and I go, this was a really bad application that was either done with enthusiasm and little understanding or it was intended to get the result that it got. I, 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 just from what I know about it, I, I think it might be the former, but they're, they're not too many sophisticated people doing drag king shows. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so it was, it was just a really, really um, application process that was full of um, pitfalls. Well, um, it doesn't mean that all these, it doesn't mean that another one won't succeed. That's the point. Is it one ruling by the commissioner, which is being challenged and it never went to tribunal. And so like Sappho's party had a ruling and we refused to accept the ruling and it went to tribunal and we won at the tribunal that lesbians did have the right to have female-only uh, events. Well, let me ask you something. It's something I've been um, curious about for a long time. How, how did you come about the name Spider? How ah, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm a witch. My mother was a tea leaf reader. I've recently... Um, uncovered the possibility that her father was one of the English gypsies. Uh -huh. And during the late 70s and 80s, I started to, um, I, well, no, early, much earlier than that, I knew I was psychic and had some involvement with what was spiritual practices before the second wave of feminism. And then after that found feminist witches. And as a process of a number of ceremonies and things, the name Spider Red Gold, the whole name appeared. And I resisted it and I came out of, like it went on for months and eventually got this name and then I didn't tell anybody about it. I was like, I can't be spider bed gold. That's just not in Australia that has, you know, bird eating spiders and red back spiders. And I can't be spider red gold. <laughs> and so, you know, they said, oh, what's your name? What's your name? And I said, oh, it's flame. <laughs> and it well was only only after that, I was in Kenya for the um, third, third UN World Conference on Women and had all of these um, things that happened in relation, traveling on my passport with my other name and like witch doctors and people would greet me off buses where the bus had broken down and I was in a town I didn't even know the name of and had no plan to be. And somebody would come and say, oh, I had a dream about the white spider. Huh. And so in, in a country full of magic and mystery and having nobody in that country have any idea of my spiritual business back in Australia, um, and even in Australia, working with Aboriginal women on sharing women's business, you know, in one ceremony, I ended up with this giant Australian spider on my head, <laughs> a real one, <laughs> in the middle of no reason for it to be there. I went and legally changed my name. You did? I did. Oh. I went to the deed poll office and said, okay, I've had enough. Um, instances that I have to consider this to be a serious message about walking my talk and so I legally changed my name 
as my British sisters would say, lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that was not the answer I was expecting. I was expecting something about Australian spiders. (laughs) But... So let's go back. No, no, I think it's more more about my birthplace because I was born in the USA and the lands that were kind of at the end of the um, the thousand mile walk, the forced walk that um, Native Americans were told to take. And my parents were racist to African-Americans in the usual British way but somehow or other didn't include Native Americans in that. And they had uh, some friends who became godparents to various children. And the woman was a Cherokee Native American and the man was a Choctaw. And so she, I can remember her teaching me things even when I was like five and six and seven years old about being out on the landscape and with the creatures and beings. That, they that, have spider grandmother. Their, their creatrix is spider grandmother. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that walk that the Salahi or Cherokee people took was from, it started not too far from here, the Trail of Tears. And That's it. Yes, the Trail of Tears, and it went to Oklahoma where my great, great aunt was able to go and get her allotment, the ah. 160 acres. Mm-hmm. She's the, that, that line in the family is the only one that's not from Britain or Scotland. <laughs> yeah, well, these, um, these um, Aunt, Auntie Tommy, uh, they lived in Oklahoma, but we lived at that stage in Texas, just where like the three states all join up together. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we used to visit them a lot. Um, my, Aunt Sally lived in Ponca City. Was that anywhere near where you were? Um, it's not a name I knew, but I, I was taken to England just not long after I turned 10 years old. So this is all a very long time ago. In your childhood. That um, in Texas, there's a town called Nachadoches. Mm -hmm. And in Louisiana, there's a town called Nacatoches, which is pronounced Nacatish. And that was our hospital when I was born. Oh, okay. They were twin brothers. But the white state line division turned the two towns into different states. But there was Natchitoches and Natchitoches, and apparently they they were brothers. And so there's always been this very close relationship to some version of understanding a bit about Native American existence in my life. So now you're teaching me American history. (laughs) (laughs) let's let's go back to being a lesbian um did you have you had any long-term relationships that you would like to talk about um I had one that we were partners for probably six years but incredibly close in each other's life for 10 I'm better alone. I, um, I've realized over time that I get distracted from myself if I try and be in a relationship and I've never really successfully sorted out not losing myself. And that's from my family with five children and the horrors of growing up. Um, not losing myself is something that's very precious to me. And so I don't actually want to lose myself in a relationship. I can remember even at the age of 16, describing my understanding of life as you have a path. And sometimes you might be walking on that path and it's really, really close to someone else's. 
and it's wonderful, but eventually you'll reach a point where one or the other of you has to leave their path if they want to stay close. And so I, I understood that at 16 and I had, had no real any, I don't even think I'd been in love by then. So well, that, that understanding of life that I had has meant that when the moment comes to say, am I going to choose me or us? I have to choose me, not us. Well, that was quite that, a profound thing to understand as a teenager. Yeah, well, Sonia Johnson talks about it in The Ship That Sailed Into the Living Room. Do you know that book? I'm sorry, say it again. I didn't understand. Sonia Johnson. Johnson, Johnston. I, I, um, I remember it vaguely, the living room, yes. And she, and she talks about how, first of all, you're actually the two of you and what's really important is the other. And then gradually what is really important is the ship, the relationship. And that what you put your effort into maintaining the relationship rather than just loving the other one? I, I'm, I am, I have to say, amazed. I think I have tapped into a wise woman. There aren't many around, you know. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, there, there are lots of crowns, but not too many wise women. <laughs> um, let's see. Do you, do you have um, any contact with your local community at this point? The lesbian community? Yes. Yes, I do. I have, um, there's a very strong lesbian community in Australia that um, has existed from the second wave and the organisation is called Lesbians Over 40 although many of us are heading way past that now, but we have an active recruitment process. So younger women are starting to come along and that's national and has gatherings every year. And then in each of the states, there's variations of, we started with a thing where you had to have been a feminist for 10 years because we were sick of going over and over and over and over and over, you know, <laughs> Feminism 101. It's like, no, you can't come to these unless you've done the hard yards of understanding what's going on. And they were not lesbian for the first five or six years. And then we realised that, in fact, everybody was a lesbian. And so we should just say it's a lesbian organisation. And that's continued. So it's called the Matrix Guild in one state and it's called 1040 in another state. And they have local state gatherings and we call them reunions to get around the laws so that you have to be invited. It's a private reunion of an existing social group and it's all word of mouth and when you get invited, you get the um, booking form, you know, and you have to say who invited you. And then they get called and said, did you really invite them? Are they on side about this being a women only gathering? Are they going to protect it from yet another court case like the one that I had to fight with two other women as Sappho's party? But so they keep going. And so there's at least two, if not three gatherings of lesbians four, four, at least four gatherings of lesbians every year that for three or four days at a time on a regular repeating schedule. And then in New South Wales, there's a monthly event where one month we come together in a community hall and have a discussion on a topic. And then the other months, go out to dinner somewhere and there's email lists that advertise other things. And then a couple of years ago, we started um, 
a lunch for radical feminists. And then that has grown into a thing called the Sydney Dykes. And we've got, you know, a Facebook group and an email list and a chat room. And every two months we have, or COVID allowing every month or every two months, we have a dinner at somebody's house, uh, bring a plate and we just gather together. And the intention of that, and it's been really, really successful was to be intergenerational. That's and so, you know, the youngest one that's ever come, I think is 22 and the oldest is 76, you know? And, and so every, every, the generation that we kind of miss out is the, the 40, 40 to 43 kind of thing. They're the generation where home loans were available to lesbian couples and things. <laughs> and we, we're, we managed to find one or two, but we're working so that we've actually got women from every generation coming along, even if they're not come to every single one, enough of them all the time. So, you know, that, that varies some, you know, on a cold, wet night, there might only be seven of us, but then on another night, there might be 25 of us. All of us being XX and we know we're XX, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I must admit, I'm very envious um, that the part of the United States that I live in, in the Southeast is, um, well, there isn't really a lesbian community here, much less a lesbian feminist community. Um, and and I, I really envy you the things that you're talking about. And it hasn't been for want of my, me trying. I've been trying since 1981. Well, I don't try anymore. Uh, oh, that's sad. I, I, well, I'm disabled to the point where I can't really do that anymore. But um, yeah, the community here is queer. And it's a very large queer community. And even if I were able, I don't think I'd want to participate. Um, in okay, the but you need to understand that I'm, I'm very lucky because I'm in the heart of this and I can go, oh, no, I'm not going to go to that. I don't, want to, I don't want to go to that, you know. But that's 25 of us in a city of 6 million. Well, yeah. You have a point. <laughs> and so while it sounds wonderful, Sydney is queer. It's, you know, the head of Amnesty International is a transgender positive S&M boy. <laughs> you know, and, and we can't any longer participate in the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which is no longer called the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. It's called Pride. And um, we, we don't have, you know, there's a month-long festival of queerness where lesbian events can't be there unless they're trans-positive lesbian events. So, you know, we live in the same world where we're underground, nearly underground, very word of mouth, invite trusted people only, very occasionally somebody will come along and then spit the dummy and be really angry with us and because they hadn't realised what terrible people we were because we believed that women are adult human females and lesbians <laughs> only have sex with other lesbians <laughs> unless they happen to be paid, you know, and that's their job and we recognise that some lesbians earn their money in brothels but that's not any kind of actual sexuality right um i i it just everything has gone haywire as far as i'm concerned um it's it, here in the town where i live it's it's not very big it's about i don't know two hundred fifty thousand. um and so the, I guess the fact that there's any, any um, 
community at all is is amazing in in a way. But I was I was active in the LGBT community before all this stuff happened, um, because that's all there was, and I was tired of beating my head up against a wall trying to create a lesbian feminist community. I tried and tried because I came out in a lesbian feminist context, and that's that that's my roots. I, I, I was a witch in 1978 and mm. um, um, read Mary Daly and Andre Dworkin and, and Susan Brown Miller and all those lovely women way back then. And then I came to Knoxville and there was the Metropolitan Community Church and a gay bar. And mm-hmm. I mean gay. And it was quite a culture shock. Um, so I, I, I went on and I, I wrote for, um, a paper out of Nashville and I, I created a, a bureau for the out and about newspaper here in Knoxville and, and, you know, that, that was then and then life happened and, cancer happened and what I'm getting to is there was a gap between the time I was doing the paper and the time when I was ready to maybe do some more activism at least online and I went to a zoom a zoom meeting and all these people had pronouns after their names (laughs) and they were calling themselves things like non-binary and I didn't know what these people were talking about. Um, I certainly know now. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, it's just all that stuff, you know. I feel I feel really lucky to be retired because I have no job to lose and have this kind of come and get me, you know, I would love to do this. Like I, I quite enjoyed um, fighting the court case and we won. And um, I love words and telling stories. And so I say, yes, take me on. I'll be your test case, you tell me that it's offensive for me to say, I'm sorry, I think you're a bloke. I'm sorry, (laughs) you're a bloke. You know, I don't let them in my house. They're like (laughs) slugs and snails. I don't actively kill them, but I don't let them in. (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) They don't. Like the... The trans reported my profile and said I was a fake. So I photographed my passport and I sent it by registered letter to Mark Zuckerfucker. You, you, you did what? I, I didn't understand what you said. I'm I, sorry. I photographed, I, um, I scanned my passport and oh. took out bits of information. Oh, goodness. My name on an Australian passport. I guess that proved it. And I sent it off, right? And then my account was reinstated. And a few months later, it happened again. And so this time, another registered letter, but this time saying, you have my digital identity on file. How dare you not refer to it? What sort of record keeping are you doing? Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. And I got I got suspended three times in like a period of six weeks. You know, like I was in total end on end. I was suspended for sort of four months. And the last one was for something I had written three years before. And before their um, community ha-ha standards had changed. And so then it was like every member of the board 
and all the boards that the other members sat on. So okay, some of the members of the Facebook board are actually on other quite significant boards. Mm-hmm. And so I just wrote and said, this is what's going on. This is three years ago. They changed the rules on me. How dare they? There's nothing wrong with what I said. This is thought control of the worst kind. And do you know that your board member is sitting on this board? (laughs) This person who is also on your board is overseeing this kind of injustice. (laughs) Brava! A registered letter from Australia to the US costs about the cost of two cups of coffee. And so I just send them because I know that somebody has to sign for them. And if it's addressed to the board as a board member, then it has to be registered as official corporate correspondence. So on the occasions that Mark Zuckerberg gets called up in front of Congress, that board correspondence is able to be um, scrutinised. And it's like my tiny little bit of awareness of corporate shenanigans. (laughs) But I have never, ever been um, banned again. I haven't, like, since that last lot of letters that went out to every board that any of the board (laughs) members sat on. I guess you taught them a lesson. I've never had my account suspended again. Well, I wish more of us would do it because it's completely outrageous and they are supposed to be under some sort of um, legislative framework that we're just not, like we see it as this big monster out there that we have no power over. Well, that's a big question in this country at this point about Facebook and Twitter, the, the big media tech media sites and corporations um twitter is is even worse twitter but we changed like never underestimate the power of a righteous women's liberation movement (laughs) we're being distracted by trans we need to get on with our business of changing the world i i absolutely agree I have taken a break from Twitter for the last two days, and and um, that that what you're saying right there has certainly congealed in my mind. Um, but I'm I'm not sure how to go forward when everybody's so focused on on that. Um, I just don't know where to start, even. Uh, Maybe a, a new a new Facebook group. I don't know. Um, uh, there've been new Facebook groups, and they sort of fade away down down the left hand side of my page. I can I can see a list of groups if I do the right clicks, and um, you know, there's this group and that group last active two years ago. That, yeah, that were right. going to be activist things. So I really think that um, the thing that we did in Australia that I that I was part of beginning, I brought back with me from the last Mitch Fest and a thing in California called Actualize. where it was about inviting face-to-face. Was it the last Mishfest? No, or the, or the family reunion. Anyway, I was in the US in 2015 and 2017. And I met this woman from Chicago. And I learned two things from her. She's a lesbian. I learned about how to run a gifting circle and how to, and that she was doing individual invitations. Would you like to come and have a cup of coffee with a couple of other women who think like we do? 
and those each woman after she had been and so it had to be face to face and this is the same thing with the the lesbian groups in Australia somebody has to know you face to face and be responsible for inviting you and then everybody gets to know you face to face so they they form these circles and then from those circles somebody who's been coming a bit far will go well this is a bit far for me to come every week I'm going to start a circle where I am and so when I first met her there was one circle and now there's 17 meeting regularly well that's and wonderful I think they're like the 21st century version of consciousness raising groups <laughs> where you come together because you believe that all of this, like women are women and the world needs to be different. But it's not women are women and we have to fight the trans thing. It's like women are women and the world has to be different. That covers and a lot of ground. That's <laughs> And that's, that's the thing that's spreading and it's the same that's happening here where groups are meeting and we've got an intergenerational fo focus and in Sydney it's the social group we don't we don't say we're activists we do activism and invite the others to come if they want to with other whatever activist groups we're part of mm -hmm but they're not there to be activists. They're there to support a lesbian lifestyle and emotional safety. I'm sitting here nodding and, and, and it's welling up in me that I, I wanna say that that's a, that's a little hard for, for, for disabled women to do sometimes um i i am one of those and getting anywhere is almost impossible for me um sitting for any amount of time is almost impossible for me and i don't think that just a personal thing i'm speaking to i i'm speaking to um ableism and um, wanting to in include everyone. And, and while I know that Zoom isn't the same, I know it isn't, but it does open the world up for those of us who can't get out to go have coffee. Um, so, and, and, you know, here in the United States, we have OLOC, Old Lesbians Organizing for Change, but it is an intergenerational. There is an intergenerational group that, that's um, forming in the middle part of the country. They, they want to include everyone, but that's where it's forming is in the, in the Midwest. And, Sometimes, and this, this comes from the old fire from the 70s, sometimes I understand why we're, we're going to have to go back to the woman-to-woman -woman invitation, but things like ableism and classism sometimes enter into that picture, and I... There's got a way to. There's got to be a way to overcome that, and I, I, I just, I just know there is, but I haven't thought of it yet. <laughs> um, because you, you mentioned going here and there, and it sounds so lovely, but there's no way I could do that. I, I. I, I'm, I'm financially. So, I'm so sad that I've said something that is upsetting to you, because I'm legally disabled. I have a leg that doesn't work. I have an ear that doesn't work. I can't hear unless I can also lip read, but I can't lip read 
without my, you know, like it's a, it's a mixture thing. So wearing masks is just a nightmare for me, not because I'm wearing one, but because I have no idea what people are saying to me without the visual breaking up of the sounds with watching their lips. And so I go to these things and they treat me like this, you know, eccentric old lady in the corner that they look after and they're really lovely. Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not really upset. I'm just sort of analyzing what you said and I don't mean to come across as emotion. Oh, have I upset you? Yes. Um, it's just hard. When my enthusiasm is hurtful. Is what? Hurtful. Causes hurt. Oh. Well, I, 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 I'm, I just apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, you mentioned going to Mitch Fest. I wanted to go to Mitch Fest my entire adult life. I went one time in 2011. It was a horrible experience. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it was, it had nothing to do with Mitch face proper. It was the people I went with, the women I went with. Um, but, um, I, 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 I'm so grateful for all the things that you've done for the things that you've told me about the things that you are doing now. Um, I don't, I don't want you to to think that I think badly of you or um, uh, I'm just, I was just thinking out loud and maybe I'm just a bit too honest and blunt at times. Um, but, but classism is something that, that I used to really go off about when I was young. Because um, I had no parents by the time I was 19. And um, I really had to try hard to survive. And they, I, I came out like I said, in the context of the women's movement, and I came out and everything I said, it just seemed like all they ever said was, well, you didn't go to college. You don't have a degree. So I went and got a degree. And then they said, oh, well, you don't have a master's. <laughs> and <laughs> this is, this is, oh, look, as far as I'm concerned, they're Americans and they're not the women's movement. They're just americocentric american museums you know it's like the women's movement the, the the egyptian feminists are extraordinary the albanian feminists are extraordinary i pity american women because they have such crap news services and they know very little about the world and they think they do they never it's like sport and women's sport and we want to say men's sport and women's sport you don't say soccer and women's soccer you say men's soccer and women's soccer it's like excuse me when you make a movie that's called the truth about the world you need to add in america at the end of it because these are just <laughs> americans who've been to private schools that have got like 27 students at them <laughs> You know, Australian yeah. universities have 60,000 students at them because we have free education or almost free education. It used to be freer. I only went to university because I got a scholarship 
because there was no free university. And then we got a Labour government and we got free university. But I had to delay my going to university until I could get a scholarship to pay for it. And so I absolutely value free education. And, and Americans, I feel I am so amazed at how incredibly ignorant even educated Americans are about the world. Oh, I agree. I absolutely agree. I'm, I'm sorry uh, they were horrible to you. No. But most women, my experience of the women's liberation movement is that there was the big girls and then there was me and they all had the secret and I didn't. And it took me ages to work it out that that was actually my own internalized oppression of me. And that the words they said didn't have the meaning from them that I was reading into them necessarily. You know, like some of them are just awful. And they were the mean girls in their private schools and then the mean girls now. But there's a whole lot of others that I kind of painted in with the same brush because I was insecure and I hadn't learned how to be secure in myself. And that I'm so glad that I learned to do that within the women's liberation movement, that I can only be the woman I am now, and thank you for saying I had gathered some wisdom. I really cherish that at the beginning. I can only be who I am now because of them. I grew up within the women's liberation movement and I became an adult thinking woman within the women's liberation movement. And I would be, I have no idea if I had not found them. I'm so grateful to them. As, as am I. As am I. <laughs> um, particularly to this one woman from Boston named Mary Daly. Um, I, I got to speak to her on the phone one time, and I, you know what I said to her? I said, you are my mother. <laughs> <laughs> you created me and uh yes that, she came that, to australia there's yeah she came to australia and there's a really big fuss about her being an intellectual classist yeah and well probably people <laughs> screaming in the audience but 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 you have to understand the context <laughs> to, for, for me when I when I first read gynecology and woman hating by Andre Dukhan, it was it was like somebody opened a window that had had curtains over it for so long, and I had known all those things. I had known that women were oppressed. I had known that that. <laughs> That rape is a tool of the oppressor. I had, I, I believe me, I knew about domestic violence. My mother was a victim of domestic violence, and mm -hmm. I, I knew all these things, but I, I just couldn't articulate them as a young woman. And and snob or no snob, Mary Daly opened the opened the the doors for me to at least partly find myself um but yes i've 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 read books from across the pond once or twice back when i could see <laughs> well i really can't see very much um but i'm I, I don't know quite where to go right now. Okay, so I'm going to go somewhere with this. Um, how am I going to do this? There are some people who are like the canary in the coal mine that warn us all when we're going off track. And 
you're one of them. So the fact that you are multiply disabled and you can't be in denial or bravado about it, like I am, I'm multiply disabled and I'm in absolute resistance to it. I refuse to use a cane. Um, a hearing aid wouldn't help. And so all the people that come along and say, have you tried a hearing aid? I sometimes get really cranky with. But the intention of the women's liberation movement is women is all women, independent of class and race and ethnic background and economic stature and geography. And the fact that some of us do it really badly and so when we mean women, we mean our little comfort zone and whether that's a white comfort zone or a Caribbean comfort zone, that, that, you know, that feminism is a body of thought and work and analysis that individual women use to help to make their decisions. And some of us don't get it right, but that's just, the women in it, you know, like the, the, I can make a distinction between what the intention is and then the fact that we do it badly. And so it sounds like you've met more of the ones that do it badly. <laughs> but it not, they don't mean to do it badly. They just don't, aren't far enough along to do it better yet. Thank so, you for saying that. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. That that that's something I will carry with me. Um, what I'm I'm going to ask you to, if you would, just say something to the younger women. Tell them something that you wish you had known. Oh, you have no idea how beautiful you are. You've been taught to look at yourself and find the bits that you should sand off or add to or make invisible. And you have no idea that you are beautiful because what we see is your spirit and your life and your, your life force and everything that you're able to do and will do. And of course, you don't know anything yet. You're young. But look at what you've got to live with and how hard it is. And I don't know whether it's harder for you now than it was for me, because it was hard for me, but you've survived. Whatever happened to you in the past, you lived through it. And it will not always shape you because it might have an effect on you today. That past, whatever it was, doesn't mean that you cannot step out of it, that at some point you'll realize that it's a, a chair you're dragging along with you and you keep it with you because you're used to it and you think it's comfortable, but you can move on and you can stop being your past whenever you're ready. And the way to get rid of stuff in your life is to fill your life up with other stuff so there's no room for the nasty stuff. Don't, don't say, I've got to stop doing this. Say, I'm going to start doing that. And then there won't be time for the thing you want to get rid of because you're doing something else. But you're just fabulous. You are my hope for the planet and for the universe. And I, I think that is... Um a wonderful place to stop. 
And I, I just want you to know that I'm honored and grateful to have spoken with you today. And thank you so much for sharing bits of your soul with us. That was exactly my thought, that there is no doubt that this is from the heart for both of us. <laughs> thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this segment of Lesbian Echo. Be sure to check in with us next time as we bring the stories of lesbians' lives to you. Mm -hmm.